Oh, I think we could all use a little of that this morning, couldn't we? Let's have a chat with Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun. Good morning, Vaughn. And good morning, Simi. Okay, Vaughn. I, I don't really have words to describe what I read through yesterday and heard about this, that this at BC Housing, I mean, it was known since 2010, and I always thought that this is kind of weird that we allow this to happen. It, it was weird. Well, it was weird. So way back in 2010, the head of BC Housing, which is the government crown corporation that provides social housing projects, finances them, um, the, the head of that, Shane Ramsey, marries the head of the number one housing provider, which is Atira. So they're married since 2010. And it's been known since then. It's not like they kept it secret. And from the beginning, when you asked about this, um, you were told, oh, there's no story here. We dealt with it, right? And this was the yeah. answer under the Liberals. There's a policy in place because you think we're stupid. We, we have a conflict of interest policy. In fact, they had a whole screen listing what was supposed to happen uh, to keep a huge barrier between the two. Ramsey was not supposed to know anything that was going on with Atira. And Atira was, if they needed money or a project or approval, they were to go through proper channels. So that was, they built this thing up in the middle. And under the NDP, they even toughened it. So, you know, it's been dealt with, right? Well, it's not. (laughs) You you read this report, Simi, and look, I've been doing this for a long time. And I'm not easily shocked. (laughs) And I was shocked. And not shocked, shocked in the Casablanca sense of, oh, yeah, I'm pretty cynical, I expected it. No, I was actually yes. shocked. In, in any scandal, the cover-up is usually the really disturbing part of the scandal. And in this case, what you discover is that conflict of interest policy was just ignored. And, and not just ignored, but... The head of BC Housing constantly interfered in uh, matters on behalf of his wife's social housing provider. And any time she didn't get what she wanted from some low-level official, she would just go around. And at times, you read these memos, these text messages from Shane Ramsey, um, to staffers, uh, he'll say, well, you know, Atira should get this, right? But but don't say it was my idea, right? Oh, like, right, because that makes it okay, it, right? It creates this climate, and, and this is, you know, this is how it spreads outward. This creates this climate at BC Housing that everybody knows what's going on, and nobody dares question it because they're afraid for their job. And eventually you get a few brave whistleblowers who take this on. But look what happens to them. You get Atira on its own, buys a hotel without approval, right? Runs into cash flow problems, comes to BC Housing looking for financial help, and they get it. They get a million point four million, uh, uh, $1.4 million dollars. So this decision is in front of the executive committee that runs BC Housing. So you put together, it's got the president and the vice presidents and everyone, and they meet. And one of the members of this meeting says, I'm not going for this, and abstains. 
Ramsey leans on the guy. Or I th- we're assuming it's a guy. The, the, the whistleblowers aren't named, and you can imagine why. Like, right. why should their careers be blotted exactly. given what they tried to do? So we don't have the name. I'm guessing a guy. It might have been a woman. And this person says, I'm not going for this. I abstain from the decision. Ramsey leans on the person and gets them to withdraw their abstention. Okay, says the person. I agree, but... I want my reservations recorded in the minutes of the meeting so that it's on the record why this person objected. Um, Ramsey said, sure, yeah, we'll put them in the minutes. He then rewrites the minutes. The report is incredible. It lists what the person wanted listed as objections, and it listed how it appeared in the minutes, and it tells you that Ramsey edited it, took all the really damaging stuff out. Unbelievable, Vaughn. The CEO and the, and the chief financial officer admitted brazenly, brazenly to the investigators. I mean, inc- imagine admitting something like this. They routinely deleted their text messages. They deleted their text messages even though that's how BC Housing made its decisions and even though the chair of the board, uh, the new chair of the board of BC Housing, and you're having him on later, Alan Seckel, ordered them to keep a complete written record of everything for the investigation. The investigators go into the files and start trying to get this stuff. They, they get access to handheld devices and iPhones, and they go, where's all the text messages in this? Oh, we just deleted them all. At one point, they go, Look, you're not supposed to delete stuff. Oh, I've been deleting stuff all along, says Ramsey. I even deleted yesterday, he tells them. Like, brazen doesn't begin to describe it and what the investigators say is this created a climate within bc housing make it happen if atira wants it make it happen don't dare disrupt this because this has got to happen just do it I mean, is it any wonder that some of the executives at BC Housing left and wouldn't stand for this any longer? Others, to their credit, acted as whistleblowers. They put some of this material out. And I wish I could tell you, Simi, this is the end of it, but it's not. It's not. There's so many gaps in the record, says the investigators at EY, so many gaps in the record that they can't be sure of what they say, they found no evidence of breach of trust, of money being used inappropriately, but they say there's so many gaps in the record they can't be sure. And as a result, the government has now had to order a third review. So the review we got yesterday was a result of the first review, and we're now going to have to have a third one. So this is not over yet. No, it's not. And so you've talked about the BC housing situation, but what about Atira? Like, what kind of changes have they met, they made there? Well, none. And you heard their rather yes uh, <laughs> gain. Brazenness seems to come with this. You know, we were looking at this yesterday, and we asked the premier, and he said, "Well, you know, in my view, Atira should make some some changes." He said, "The government will continue funding for existing projects because there are very unfortunate people living in those projects, and they went into them in good faith, and they don't want the projects shut or the funding cut off or the heat turned off or anything. So that's that's the right decision. But the government has frozen." Any additional funding for a terror, there'll be no new projects approved. Nothing will be done until the government has 
confidence in Atira. And that means, first of all, BC Housing's record-keeping on Atira, financial reviews are running months behind uh, the investigators at EY were not given access to Atira's banking records. There are Atira subsidy, subsidiaries that they haven't been able to get at. So there's huge gaps in all this, hence the third review. And the Premier said yesterday, he said, I would really wish that I could tell you that's it, right? We've got it all. We know the problem. We're going to take all the recommendations. We're going to fix it. But that is not the situation facing this government. Uh, this is, Atira, the third, the largest housing provider um, for BC Housing. It's the largest client they have. It was getting $4 million a month in government subsidies. And the government is so far behind in knowing the situation that they can't tell us with any certainty um, how much has been lost, how much has been spent, um, whether or not the money went to the wrong places. They say they don't find any evidence of it. But, Simi, when people are altering the minutes, well, yeah. and deleting text messages, yeah. and not doing financial records, and saying just look the other way and pay no attention... There's, there's no certainty around this thing at all. You know, the brazen, and we keep saying the word brazenness, but I don't know, there is no stronger word than, than what that is. And no. it is so brazen. If you have to delete your text messages, there's a problem there. If you feel you need to delete your text messages, you should be asking yourself why. And the fact that Shane Ramsey quit last August and put out that note about how, oh, it's gotten to be too much. And, can't handle it. Oh, can I, oh, it's gotten too violent yeah. down there. And what was really going on now, that just seems to me outrageous. Yeah, the chief financial officer. So if the CEO is doing stuff, you've got the chief financial officer. It's a public agency, right? It's got it's going through $2 billion a year. This isn't a little operation anymore. It's grown massively under the NDP. So the chief financial officer leaves in January. We now discover in the report that um, he was deleting text messages as well. And the premier said that person got severance. And the government's going to try to get the severance back. They were fired uh, without cause, so you're fired without cause, uh, you, you get severance. But the government's now going, gosh, in light of what we now know, uh, we've got to get the money back. So it, it'll be interesting when you talk to Alan Seckel this morning, the chair of the board, and he's brought in to fix things. It's clear that it was a scramble. Like, I wouldn't fault him or the new board for not getting on top of this thing overnight because, of course, they were struggling with exactly the same gaps in the record that the auditors were struggling. With. But we do know, Simi, a very different story about why David Eby fired the board of BC Housing, the old BC Housing. So I was thinking yesterday, back to this, you interviewed David yes. Eby on your show last July, just a few days after he fired the board. And he bristled at the suggestion that he had fired the board. Oh, no, we're just, it's just a change of direction. You know, you do that in government and the old board was, you know, knew about some things, the new board knows accountability. So I'm listening to him in the house yesterday and he tells us the real story that he didn't tell us and didn't tell you last July. He had enough evidence in front of him that he thought Shane Ramsey should have been fired or put on leave last July. Yeah, he passed the word to the old board of BC Housing, and the board didn't go for it. 
So he fired the board. He didn't fire the board for a change of direction. He fired the board because they didn't take the very strong hint that they should deal with the CEO. They said, oh, we're not persuaded we need to do that. Okay, fine, you're fired, and the new board will deal with it. And, of course, what happened is they brought in a new board, and you just said it. Ramsey himself left with a grandiose statement about how he just... Just wasn't up to the challenges anymore. Oh, um, it's so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the racket was over is what really happened. <laughs> so anyway. Well put. You know what? And we'll be asking uh, the Premier about that because he's joining us in the next hour. Vaughn, thank you for okay, that. Okay, Jimmy. Bye-bye.